This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. But always bothered me. Why were there animal sacrifices in the Old Testament? Why did God choose that as a means of, of in the Old Testament under the law, redemption? Is there a, was there a real reason? Did God just say, okay, I'm going to have them kill animals? Because I would say, God, you could have chosen anything. Why couldn't it be olive oil? We just sprinkle olive oil. Why did an animal have to die for redemption? So that's one of the questions I'm going to try and answer tonight. And then expand that as we're coming up to Passover. Why did Jesus have to die? We know that when he was in the garden, he prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass. The fact that he had to go to the cross tells me it was not possible. It had to be that way. Well, the question is, why did it have to be that way? Couldn't have God fixed the problem some other way? He's God. He could have come up with any solution. So those are the two questions. We may not actually get to the second one in the time we have, but we will try. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. Everything in the Bible really starts in Genesis. In Genesis. Genesis 2.7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And in the Hebrew, that word is nefesh, and it represents the immaterial part of who you are, the real essence of who you are, the thing that makes you, you. It's that part that can't be measured by physics. They don't have a machine that can measure that. In fact, there's a lot of things that science cannot measure. In fact, if you go to the doctor and you're in pain... They usually say to you, can you tell us on a scale of 1 to 10? What? Because they have no, nothing that can actually measure your pain. But you know it's real, and you feel it. Just the way that you, if you've had an experience with God, there's no physics that can measure that, but you know it's real, and you feel it. Amen. And so, just because science can't measure it or put it down doesn't mean it's not real. In fact, they, they admit that when it comes to pain. They tell you, please put on a scale of 1 to 10 how much pain you're feeling. Because there is nothing they can tell to measure that. You see, because that is something that is subjective, that, is, that you're experiencing. And that's our relationship with God. It's an experience. It's not a physical thing that can be um, uh, put down and analyzed. Now, what I'm showing there is my little terrible graphic of a, of a body and a soul. When God created us, he created us a three-part being. The Bible says in Genesis 1 that in the beginning, God created man in his image. In Genesis 1, it speaks, it uses a, a Hebrew word, bara, which means out of nothing. In Genesis 2, it uses a different word, formed. And the skeptics would say, well, here's two different creation stories. The Bible can't even get it straight. It's because they don't understand what's happening. In Genesis 1, God is creating the soul, the spirit. 
The Bible tells us that God is a spirit. And the Bible also tells us that we originally were made in his image. So what was being created in Genesis 1 was the spirit part. In Genesis 2, he took that spirit part, that soul, and he put it into a physical body that he had made. And the Bible then says he breathed and man became a living soul. Now, here's the the amazing thing about the Bible. In the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is, is hinted at, but is concealed. But in the New Testament, Jesus is revealed. And we see this same breathing happening in the New Testament before the giving of the Holy Spirit. John 20, 22. And what I'm trying to tell you is, to speak, you have to breathe. What I'm trying to tell you is that in the New Testament, in chapter 20, 22, what is being revealed was what God spoke in Genesis. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them what? Receive ye the Holy Ghost. What I'm trying to tell you is what's being revealed was what happened in Genesis that gave man initial life. Jesus is now revealing in Revel in John what is going to give bring us back to being born again. It's that Holy Spirit. So the three parts that God created or God made was the body, our soul, and his spirit. What I'm trying to tell you is that the three parts that make someone a son of God has not changed. Adam was a son of God. In the book of Luke, it gives the genealogy of Jesus Christ going backwards. And I love the way it finishes. It says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam which was the Son of God. What made Adam a son of God was the covering spirit, the Shekinah glory. That's why they couldn't see that physically they were naked because they were covered with God's glory. It's that breath of life that is the word of God. So the first covering that God gave us was actually his spirit. The Bible says that no man hath seen God at any time. What it's speaking about in the original language, it's saying no flesh can come before God's presence. But when he gives us a covering, that's what allows us into his presence. The reason why Adam and Eve could have fellowship with God is because they were covered with the Spirit. That's what made them a son of God. That's what makes us today a son of God is when we are born again of the Spirit. Because it's that third part covering that makes us a child of God. Your body is made up of hundreds of millions of cells. And every single one of them has a covering. And it's that covering that allows the body to know that that cell belongs and is part of the body. If the cell's covering gets damaged, it becomes foreign, and the blood cells, the immune system, tries to destroy it. That's necessary for the body to um, understand that the cell belongs to the body. So when God created us, he created us with a covering of his spirit. That's what I'm trying to portray tonight. And in fact, every single creature that he created to be in fellowship with him, had to have a covering. You remember in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, Isaiah has a vision of heaven. And he says, In the day that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord 
high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Then he goes on to describe some heavenly beings. And he said he saw these creatures that have six wings, right? With twain they covered their face, with twain they covered their feet, and with twain they, they flew. Do you understand that that is symbolic of a spiritual covering? Angels actually don't need wings to fly. Uh, some news for you. <laughs> they only ever appear with wings when described in heaven. And the reason is because it's symbolic of a covering. They too cannot be in God's presence without a covering. On earth they always appear as men. Look in the Bible and you'll see that. It's only when they're in the presence of God they have to have a covering. In fact, even Satan, Lucifer as he was, the Bible says in Ezekiel, every precious stone was thy covering until iniquity was found in you. So God created every creature with a covering so that they could have a relationship with him. And that's why today when Adam sinned, he lost that covering. The Bible says in Genesis that God warned him, the day thou eatest of the tree of the knowledge of evil, thou shalt what? Surely die. And immediately what died was the spirit covering. How do we know that? Because they became naked. They became naked. What did they do next? They tried to make a covering because something had disappeared. Now, the way... This works is, I describe it as a can of corned beef. Anyone got some corned beef at home? Now, you can have that can in there for years and years. But the moment you cut it open, what's, what's going to start to happen? It's going to start to decay. Death came when the spirit covering, which is what gives us immortality and eternal life, died immediately. The flesh now started to decay and was going to die. Um, so that first covering was God's spirit. And the Hebrew gives us a clue to that because in the Hebrew, the word for light is or, O-R-E. The word for skin is also O-R-E. Understanding that the skin was a substitute covering. The Bible now says, now I'm going to go back to the scripture that I started with. In him was life, and the life was the light. Remember what I said in Hebrew? Light is the same word as skin. In other words, that was the covering that Adam and Eve had. They, had, they were covered with the glory of God. And that's what immediately disappeared, and now they realized that they were naked. Jesus, in Matthew 17, 2, gives us a hint of what we were created to be. Because on the mountain, he goes up and the Bible says, and was transfigured before them. For just a moment, he revealed what a son of God really looks like, which is light. We were to be the vessels of God's glory. The Bible tells us that when we see him, we shall be what? Like him, for we shall see him as he is. What I'm trying to tell you is that man was, in fact, God's highest creation. I'll let that sink in because you may not have heard that before. That's the reason we were created last. He created everything until he created man. And it's the, it's the only creation he said explicitly was made in his image and in his likeness. We now are so far from what we were created to be. Jesus came... 
to reveal to us what a son of God really looks like. In fact, in his last prayer, he said, I have manifested thy name. Now the key is, what is his name? What was Jesus' full name? He asked Peter that question. What did Peter answer? Thou art the Christ, meaning the anointed one, the Son of the living God. That's the full title. That's what Jesus came to manifest. For 4,000 years, there had never been a Son of God on the earth. Sin is really revealed as a genetic defect because you can only give birth to what you are. Adam and Eve were made, created sons of God. But when they lost the covering, in Genesis 5, and it said Adam had a son in his image and his likeness. But now something was missing. And so now all his sons from that point on were born body and soul. Not body, soul, and spirit. And that's why Peter says that we have to be what? Born again. Not of corruptible seed, but by the word of God which abideth and liveth forever. That's the new birth. It's so as to return us back to true sonship. That was God's redemption plan. So for us to be in communion, true communion with God, we have to have that covering spirit. Let me go on here. After six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and was transfigured before them. What he was doing was revealing what a son of God really looked like. I actually believe Adam had exactly the same powers as Jesus. Remember, in Genesis, God gave him full dominion over everything that moveth upon the earth. Jesus came to demonstrate what we are going back to. In his prayer, when in Matthew chapter 6, and his disciples came and asked him, teach us to pray, he gave us a very unusual prayer. It starts out with this word, our, Father. Do you know what he was doing in just those two words? He was putting his disciples as his brethren. Anyone in the Old Testament who had said, our Father, would have been stoned to death because they would have been equating themselves as a son of God. But Jesus came to bring us back to sonship. And so he said, from now on, I don't call you friends, but I call you brothers. Meaning that when we are born again, when we receive the Spirit, we're on that journey back to full sonship. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 20, it says that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain. We're waiting now for the last part. We, those of you who have been filled with the Spirit, now you're just waiting for the, the new bodies. Amen. That, that supernatural body that Adam had, that was, had no ex- expiration date. You know, you go in the fridge and you look at the milk and you make sure that it's not expired yet. Adam was not created with an expiration date. But just as is revealed in the book of Hebrews, because of sin, he was made lower than the angels. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 reveals what happened when man sinned. In Psalms chapter 8, it says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. Well, in the Hebrew, it uses two different words there for man. One is enosh, which means mortal man. The other one is Adam, which means son of God. What it's telling us is that Adam went from son of God to mortal man and became lower than the angels. Why? 
It's revealed in Hebrews for the purpose of suffering death. When man sinned, that covering went. We learn in, in, in Romans that this body, this flesh is not redeemable. God gave it up. You know, many years ago, I came to the realization that it was God's plan for us eventually to die. It's in Genesis. He said, lest they put forth their hand and do what? Eat of the tree of life and do what? Live forever. Now you may say, well, what is God planning? It's because he has given up on this flesh. It cannot be redeemed. His plan is to take that spirit, that soul, and put it in a brand new body. It's been modeled in nature. Just think of a moth. Creepy, crawly caterpillar. It turns into a cocoon, and its whole body transforms in a matter of weeks and comes out completely different. That's totally amazing. Have you thought about that? That's exactly what God is in the process of doing, transforming us. The Bible says that there are bodies celestial and bodies terrestrial. And one day we're going to get that full redemption. Amen. I've completely gone off my notes here, but let's keep going. Amen. So the result, the true result that Jesus was trying to show them, and he told them, don't tell anyone about this until after the crucifixion. But he was trying to show them what a son of God really looked like. When you get to heaven, you will have the Shekinah glory over you. Because you will be transformed. You'll be just like Jesus. The Bible says when he shall appear, we shall be what? Like him. In fact, he said that they may be one even as we are one. We have no idea really how true that, that, that revelation is that we are called to be just like him. Amen. We were originally created to be in his image. So now when Adam and Eve sinned, they realized something had changed. The Bible says in Genesis 3, 7, the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. That should have fixed it, shouldn't it? They covered the body. But then what did they do? They hid. So something was not covered. See, the fig leaves covered the body, but it couldn't cover the soul. And so... If the fig leaves had been enough, they wouldn't have had to hide. But something was still bothering them. They still experienced guilt. And so they hid. The fig leaves could only cover the outside. It could not cover the inside, which was the soul. And so they experienced guilt. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that that we are to have a covering. In Isaiah 30, verse 1, it says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. Every being that is going to be in relationship to God has to have a covering. And when Adam and Eve lost that covering, that was one of the main purposes. They could not stay in the presence of God. But without that covering, they would have died. So we see that God had to come and fix the problem. God had a problem now with Adam and Eve. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So now God had a problem. They had disobeyed him. The spirit covering had already gone. And now they were in the process of dying. And I really believe they would have physically died that very day. But God had mercy and grace. And provided a temporary covering. So that 
there would be eventually a Messiah. In, in the scripture, we see that the Bible tells us God did something really strange. I've put on there, it says, two coverings were now required. One for the body, which they had tried to do, and one for the soul, which they could not do. And so now God came in and made a covering or two coverings, and I'm going to show you what they were. The Bible says that he made coats of skins. Now, it doesn't say explicitly that he killed an animal, but that's what's implied. That there was an, a death of an animal. Now, God could have. We, we would all assume that, well, God, you could just make them another spirit covering. Why couldn't he do that? Well, they didn't listen, but there was a reason why couldn't, God couldn't just flick his fingers and put it back to, to zero again. Remember, in Genesis chapter 2, it said that God rested from all his creative works. God could, now, could no longer, by his own word, create anything out of nothing. He could only work with what he had already created. God was now limited by his own word. Because at the end of Genesis uh, 1.37, God looked at everything he had made, and it was very good. There had been no false. Satan had not rebelled. Everything was in perfection. So the Bible says that God rested from all his creative works. So for God now to give them a new spirit, he would have had to break his word. And above all things... In the book of Hebrews, it says, by two immutable things, it's impossible for God to lie. In other words, God cannot ever go back on his word. He's not like us. His word, once he gives it, has to stand. If his word were not to stand, this whole universe would collapse, would disappear. Because the Bible tells us that we understand that the world was framed by the very word of God. So God had given his word that he had gone into his rest. That means he was not in, a cre in, in creating anything out of nothing. So that's why in Genesis 2, everything from that point on is formed. That means made out of stuff that was already existing. So God had to come up with a temporary solution for man's fall. He had to come up with a covering that would stop man completely dying until there could be the final solution. So God made coats of skins and clothed them. So there were two parts to this. There was the skin part. And as I, sh as I showed you before, the word for skin is the same as the word for light. Which is, shows you the, the, the connection. Now in the book of Job, Satan says to God when he's first trying to you know, attack Job, he says uses this phrase which is very interesting. He says, skin for skin. It's because you have put a protection, a covering around him. You remove that covering and let me add him and I bet you he will curse you. He was referring back all the way to Genesis that you had put, you have now substituted a covering. It's not your spirit anymore, but it's a temporary covering. You remove that and let me add some of these people and I'll show you that they... They are going to rebel against you. So the first part, the skin covering, the coat, was for the outside. But there needed to be something else for the guilt and for the soul. And this is when God gave them the blood. Now this is just my opinion. But when man was first created, 
He wasn't created with blood. Now, why do I say that? I believe he was actually powered by the Spirit. We notice when Jesus arose from the dead and he had that glorified body, when he appeared to his disciples, he never mentioned the word blood. He said, flesh and bone. Where had all the blood gone? Well, you know where it all went. When the Roman soldier pierced him in his side, what happened? Out came the glorified body is totally powered by the Spirit. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they were going to die. God had to give a substitute. And I believe that's when blood was actually invented. And I'll, I'll show you the scriptures why. So the covering for the guilt was the blood. And we, we find if we were to study the offerings that were given under the law, there was a five offerings. There was the sin offering, the burnt offering, which is the guilt offering, and then there was the trespass offering. Those, those three of the five were blood sacrifices. The other two were grain offerings, were fellowship offerings. And when someone sinned, they had to bring at least two of those offerings. One was the guilt offering, the burnt offering, which was to cover and justify the guilt. And then there was the sin offering, which was to pay for the sin. And so we see that God then tells them that the, the covering is going to be blood. And it's funny because Adam, in Hebrew, really means the red man or the blood. And so the blood, Hadam, it's a Hebrew play upon words, was sprinkled on the altar. Hadam was sprinkled on the, the blood was sprinkled on the altar. And so, in other words, in Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you. God now says, okay, you're going to need something to cover your guilt as a sacrifice. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement. And we miss the meaning of, of that word, but in the Hebrew, it actually means a covering. To make a covering, or in the Hebrew, it's kafar, for your souls. Now, imagine if you were to take that very literally. If you take that verse very literally. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. If you went to the Hebrew and you looked up that word life, it would be the same word as nefesh, which means soul. So what God is saying now, for the soul of the flesh is in the blood. Right there is a huge revelation. Scientists think that your consciousness is somewhere up here in your brain. But what that is telling us is that the soul is actually in your blood. The interesting thing, too, is every single one of your hundred trillion cells in your body has to have a blood supply to live. The moment it doesn't, that cell dies. What God is revealing here, and what science, I believe, will, has not found out, is that he's saying that the soul resides in the blood. And that's why was, there was this prohibition, even in the New Testament, from abstaining from blood because the life of the flesh the life of the soul is in the blood and i have given it upon the altar to make a covering for your souls for it is the blood that makes a covering now what is god speaking about what is he trying to explain to them adam and eve were going to die while they lived their soul could reside in this vessel but this vessel this flesh 
was also going to die. It wasn't going to die immediately now because God had given them a temporary covering. But eventually it was going to die. And then, then what would happen to the naked soul? It would die too. So the soul, once this body disappears, goes back to dust, before Jesus came, it went to this place called the grave where it too would have died and then the person would completely cease to exist. So what God instituted as a temporary measure to preserve the soul was a covering. And this is why there were animal sacrifices. This was not God's original plan. He didn't want animals killed. But it was the only way to preserve the soul in the grave until, until. Let me continue here. So we see that the, the, the immune system was given. The skin is actually your largest organ. It's your skin that is your first line of defense. And not to creep you out, but they say on every square centimeter of your flesh, there is right now 500 million pieces of bacteria per square centimeter. There are 500 million If they were to swab your skin and put it on the microscope, they would find billions of bacteria, all trying to get into your body to kill you. But that's why God gave the covering. And your immune system works through your blood. It's your blood supply that fights against infection. So the blood was given for a covering. Now, the problem is Adam and Eve had sinned, and so their own blood was now sinful. Leviticus 17.11. So our own blood cannot be the covering when we die. Our own blood cannot be the covering for us when we die because it's already sinful. So this is why God instituted the animal sacrifice. Because when they followed the law and when they provided the sacrifice, it wasn't for during their life. It was actually for the time when they died. So that in the grave the blood of this animal would be a temporary covering for the soul. Are you all following me on that? I know that's mind-blowing, but follow me and I'll show you. Now, when Abel died, and God was looking for his brother who murdered him, he said, to show you where the soul really resides, he says, the blood of your brother calls out to me. I'm showing you that what, what the scripture is trying to show us is that the soul, the blood was given for the covering. That's what it says explicitly. For the life, the nephesh of the flesh is in the blood. And so when Abel was killed, it was his soul, blood, that was calling out. And so God had to find a temporary solution without creating another spirit covering for man. And so he instituted the animal sacrifice. He didn't just arbitrarily say, okay, let's kill a bunch of animals. It was the only way to provide a covering for the soul temporarily. So now, look at the animals that were chosen. It couldn't be an animal. It couldn't be certain animals because it had to be an animal that had no knowledge of what? Good and evil. So it had to be an animal that was purely instinctual. That's why a dog could not work because dogs... They can disobey you and know they're disobeying you. You say sit and they look at you and they... So that's why it could only be certain animals whose blood 
was going to be innocent, like a lamb or a sheep that operated purely on instinct. And that's why God gave them only certain animals could they use for this purpose. So during their lifetime, everyone who broke a a, a law, under the law was to bring their turtle dove or their goat, and actually what they were doing was preparing for the time when they died. It was in the grave that the blood was going to be needed to preserve their soul. Now, if you, if you look at the, the, uh, the sacrifice, and I'm going to get there. Here's, here's in Genesis 4.10, and he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth out, crieth unto me from the ground, showing you what I'm trying to say, that literally the blood was given for a covering for the soul. Okay. So in 2 Peter 2.4, it speaks about this place we call hell. Now we know that it wasn't created in the first six, six days because in Genesis chapter 1, verse I think 37, it says God looked at everything and said not that it was good, but very good. So the universe was in perfection before he stopped and went into his rest. So we know that Satan's rebellion had to be after the creation of man. At some point when he did rebel, hell was created in response to his rebellion. We know in Matthew, the Bible, Jesus says that hell was created originally for the devil and his angels. It was not created for us. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, you have to remember that most of them were probably not literate. They had been slaves for hundreds of years, so probably a good majority of them could not read or write. So God, instead of giving them written instructions, he devised all of these ceremonies and told them to practice them. And in the ceremonies are all of God's plans for salvation. We, we, we look at them as the seven feasts, right? We're coming up to the first one of the ceremonial year, which is Passover. And then there comes unleavened bread, and then there comes first fruits. And 50 days after that is Pentecost, and then four months after that is Feast of Trumpets, and then the holiest one to the Jews is the Day of Atonements. Atonements, the Day of Covering. On that day, the high priest alone would go into the Holy of Holies, And he would take the blood from one of two goats that had been killed. It was the only time that the blood was taken in all the way. On all other sacrifices, the blood of an animal was sprinkled upon the brazen altar. Or as actually it's called the earthen altar. Because it was always built on top of a mound of earth. And the reason for it is what I was telling you, that the blood of the animal was sprinkled on the bottom of the altar. In other words, on the earth. Let's read it. In Leviticus 4.13, The priest shall take of the blood thereof with his finger, put it upon the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and shall pour out all of the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. In other words, on the earth. Why on the earth? So as to be ready to receive the soul when that person died. 
it was poured upon the altar, which was a grate, and underneath was a mound of earth, if you uh, would read it. It was called the earthen altar or the brazen altar. Now, what did that place represent? The braze, brass represents judgment. Judgment. It was the place of judgment. Instead of you dying or, or, or being sacrificed, an animal was being substituted for your sin. It represented the actual place of judgment. Where was the actual place of judgment? Hell. The priests were told that the fire of the brazen altar should never go out. They had to keep it burning, just like the oil and the lamps. They had to keep the brazen altar going at all times because it represented hell. That's why in the New Testament, Jesus, who is our substitute, went to the grave. He went to the literal place of judgment in our place. Amen. So, Second Chronicles 29-22, So they killed the bullocks, and the priests received the blood, and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, when they killed the rams, they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. They killed also the lambs, and they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. Well, the altar was just a grate, so the blood actually fell through onto the earth. Now, I know I'm telling you a whole bunch of stuff here, so you're all looking at me like, but what I'm trying to explain to you is the reason for the animal sacrifice was it was a temporary measure to preserve the soul until, you know what the until is? Until the real sacrifice came. You see, the blood of bulls and goats could not permanently fix the sin problem. Although the animal's blood was pure and innocent because it only it had no knowledge of good and evil, it never willingly gave its life. So that person could not be released from the grave because the animal did not choose to die. It gave its life unwillingly. And so all the, the blood of the animal did was preserve the soul of that person until, until, now, when Jesus started his ministry, after he had been baptized, after he had been tempted, at the beginning of the three and a half years, he went back to his hometown at Capernaum on a Sabbath day, and he went into the synagogue, and they handed him the scroll from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. Could anyone find that for me and read that? And I'll try and hurry up here. Remember, this is just mud. If you don't need it, that's fine. Isaiah 61, and Jesus started to read from the beginning of verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord, anyone? Stop there. Which captives? That's right. His whole purpose of coming the first time was not to take back the kingdom of the earth, but was to take back the kingdom of the grave. That was his whole purpose, and Satan had no clue about that. He thought, if I kill Jesus, there's only one place he can go. Where is that? Back to heaven. 
because he was sinless. He was sinless. If you, killed, if you were able to kill Jesus, there's only one place he was qualified to go, back to heaven. Until when he was arrested during this week, 2,000 years ago, he was brought before the high priest. And the high priest said, it is better that one man should die for the sin of the nation. The scripture in Mark says he was forced to say this by the Holy Spirit. You know what was happening? Jesus was being declared the sin offering. At that moment now, Satan realized, if I kill him on Passover, he's coming down here. He's going to release everybody that's down here. But it was too late. Do you notice what Judas did? What did he do after Jesus was arrested and with the high priest? What did he do next? No, before he did that. No, he went to the high priest and said, wait, stop, stop, stop. I made a mistake. Let him go. On the Passover, Jesus dipped the sop, gave it to Judas, and the scripture says, Satan entered him. He was now empowered by Satan. So Satan realized now, oh my goodness, if he dies, he's coming down here. I've had all these souls captive from Adam. I've had all these souls captive from Adam. He had no idea what Jesus' real plan was. He thought if he could kill. And so now the plan changes. We don't want him to die. At least not on Passover, not as the sinless, not as the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. We can't have him die. In fact, the Pharisees said to him on the cross, why don't you come down? Isn't that what they said? Because if he, he, Satan at that point knew if he had done. See, the God we serve outwits him every time. You understand why there are two comings because there are three kingdoms the heavenly kingdom the kingdom of the grave and the earthly he came the first time his whole purpose was to take back all the righteous dead that had died but could not be released that's what the scripture in isaiah said he came to release the captives and then the bible says that when he arose he led captivity captive where was he coming from the grave he released every righteous dead that had died from Adam. I didn't put it in here, but if someone could find Genesis chapter 49, we find Jacob on his deathbed prophesying over all of his sons. When he gets to Judah, he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until the lawgiver comes. And then he says, I don't want to misquote it, then he says, to him... Anyone find that? It's in, uh, I don't remember the verse, but it's in Genesis 49. It's when he's, he's putting the blessing on Judah. Keep reading. Until. Okay, stop there. Unto him shall be the gathering of all the people be. Now there's two sentences in the Old Testament that tell you how someone dies. A righteous death or an unrighteous death. When it's a righteous death, the Bible says, and he was gathered 
to his people. When it's an unrighteous death, it says he was cut off from his people. You understand in the phraseology what Jude, what, what Jacob is prophesying that the, someone was going to come from the line of Judah who was going to gather all the people. Could you read that last bit again? You know, Jesus was actually being very literal when he said, No man cometh to the Father but by me. Because he literally led captivity captive. He, he went down to, to, to the grave. And the Bible said he spoiled. That means he took all of his prizes away from him. He took every righteous dead person away. Now here's the difference. See, Jesus' blood was powerful enough not just to cover, but to redeem. Why? Because he chose to die. The animals couldn't. But once he died, the animal's sacrifices was finished. You know why? Because in Matthew 28, 19, he says, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That means when we die now, we don't go there. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Amen. This, this altar that they killed all these animals represented the place of judgment in the tabernacle outside. Blood received by the symbolic place of judgment for the literal place of judgment. It was a substitutionary sacrifice. It represented hell. Uh, so Moses put the blood all around the altar for the person who had brought it. So at the time of the death... Their soul would be preserved, but not released until Jesus came. Here's a most amazing verse in, in uh, the book. Well, I'm coming to it. For the life of the creatures in the blood, I've given it on the, to make a covering for yourselves on the altar. That's why they sprinkled it on the altar. Now, here's the verse that I think is amazing that you may have read before. Speaking about all these people before, they all died in faith not having received the promise. They had to wait. But having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, and these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us. We do not go to the grave. Not according to the scripture. The Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. God having provided a better thing for us. When we are born again by baptism and filled with his spirit, the Bible says we are seated in heavenly places. The moment if this body were to die, all that would happen is you would appear in the throne room of God. You know, the Bible says that's why we do not sorrow as them that have no hope. Now, I didn't, I didn't shed a lot of tears when my parents died. I shed a lot of tears before they died, but when they died, I knew where they were. I'm not saying we want to die, but if you are a child of God, you should not fear death because you are going to be appearing in his throne room. Amen. So Hebrews explains all of this. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, without the, the covering, there was no saving for the soul in the Old Testament. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice. So right now, Christ is appearing as our high priest. That's why we're not 
We're not perfect, but we are blameless. Because it's our day of atonement. On the day of atonement, the high priest would go before God with the sacrifice. When he, come, when he would come out, it was the day that he would actually pronounce the name of God. They, they very rarely ever said the, the name of God. But on that day, the high priest was commanded. He would come out. And can you imagine two million around the, the tabernacle all waiting to see if he was going to live or die. And when he would come out, the moment he would come out after taking in the goat that was slaughtered, they knew that the sacrifice had been accepted. They knew that at that instant, they were sinless. For that day, they were sinless until the next day or whenever the first person thought some evil thought, and then they had to wait another year. But for that moment, for that day, they were sinless. You understand that Jesus died and right now is our day of atonement. That's why we are sinless, because it's still our day of atonement. The, the ceremony will end in heaven. The ceremony ends in heaven. And so this is right, right now, we are, we are in our day of atonement. That's our day of grace. See, under the law, uh, it was through the animal sacrifices. But when Jesus came, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that does what? Taketh away. Not just covers it, but takes it completely away. So Christ's death was to the end of the First Testament through the blood that covered those who died under. Um, and here is the proof. Hebrews 9.15 For this reason, he is the mediator, the go-between of a new covenant. So that since death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant. What it's saying is that not only was his blood a covering, but it also redeemed. In Revelation 5, we find that the, the 4 and 20 elders says, Thou hast redeemed us, how? By thy blood. By thy blood. Everyone who died up to this point, Jesus, had not gone to heaven. We can prove that from John 3.13. When Jesus says, No man hath ascended up to heaven, except the Son of Man, which is in heaven. He was claiming to be on earth and in heaven at the same time. But he made a very point. Nobody had yet gone to heaven. Why? He had not died. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has the vision of heaven. And he sees all the seraphim. But he doesn't see any people. But in Revelation chapter 4, it starts out with, I heard a voice and a door open and the voice of a trumpet as it were saying what? Come up hither. A rapture event. And now he sees a multitude. Why? Because Jesus has died. He has led captivity captive. His blood was the final covering that released everybody who had died under the law. And under the covering of the animal sacrifice. Now, I just want to show you something and then I'm out of time. This is such a big subject, but I'll, I'll stop here. No. This, this would take several hours, but I'll, I'll stop here. I've given you enough that uh, you, can, you can look. Now, so under the law, and I'll come to your question, I'll just say this. Under the law, the animal sacrifices were instituted. Someone will say, well, what about Abraham? Well, if you study the Old Testament, you'll see that God sacrificed an animal for him. Well, what about his son, Isaac, 
When did that happen? Well, you will see Isaac was taken up on the mountain and literally, as far as God's concerned, died. Okay, here's a, here's a hard one. What about Jacob? When was the animal sacrificed for him? Well, how did he get the blessing? Rachel said, go and get a kid and kill it and take the skin and cover yourself. He did not deserve the blessing. He was not in line for the blessing. But the covering made the difference. What about his son, Joseph? Where was the blood sacrificed for him? That's right. His brothers killed a kid, dipped his coat in the blood, and then took it back to the father as proof. Do you see what I'm saying? Without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin because it needed the blood as a temporary covering. Until Jesus came. Going, and I'm going to finish with this verse that I started with. In, in Matthew 20, 17, he came to his disciples and then he did this. <laughs> he breathed on them. Now the, the original problem is going to be fixed. Remember I said that God could not create a new spirit covering because he had entered his rest. And if you look at Genesis, you'll find that each day ends with this phrase, the evening and the morning were the second day, third. But when you get to the seventh day, there is no evening and morning. In other words, God is still in his rest. So the only covering that could be brought to mankind had to be the covering of himself. This is why Jesus had to come and had to die. Because the only spirit covering left was his personal spirit. That's why the last thing he said, into thy hands commend my spirit. So that 50 days later, it could be shared and poured out upon all of us. And in his death, the Bible says, bringing many sons to glory. So God completely outfoxed Satan because the prophecy in Genesis said, through the seed of the woman would we what? Crush his head. And so God preserved humankind so that eventually, at some point, he could come and bring himself and die. And that's why he had to die. That was the only way, the only way the spirit gets released from a body is death. And this explains why Jesus had to die and why it had to be that way. When a cell in your body gets immunity, the only way it spreads that immunity to the rest of the body, you know what it has to do? It has to die. It splits. And that's how the rest of the body becomes immune. Jesus came to give us immunity from sin, to give us back the spirit so that we once again can become sons of God. And so when we receive that spirit, the Bible says, I, I no longer call you just friends, but now you are brothers. We are, we are adopted and we are heirs and joint heirs. And there's so much more to this, but I hope that that little bit has helped you understand why there had to be animal sacrifices. It was God's means of preserving the soul in the grave until the true sacrifice could come and release everybody. Just as Jacob had prophesied that he, to him would everyone be gathered.
Amen. God bless you. I hope I haven't put you to sleep. Amen. Um, does anyone have any questions? Sure, I will, I will leave it with um, Pastor Kirk, a, a copy, and however he would like to distribute it. Okay, well, I'm, I'm pretty bad-sighted, too. Any other questions, any other comments? My opinion was that Satan thought or had planned to kill Jesus. Remember, many times he tried to kill him, but Jesus would not let himself be killed until he became the sin offering. He said, no man taketh my life, I lay it down. If he had stayed up on the cross and just stayed there, the wood would have rotted before he would have died, until he said, Father, commend my spirit. Unless he decided to die... He could not have died. In Hebrews, it's revealed that he was made lower than the angels. And the revelation goes on to say, for the purpose of death. A son of God cannot die. But for that instance on the cross, he was made lower than the angels. And the scripture in Hebrews says, for the purpose of death, so that we could be redeemed. If he could not die, his spirit could not be released. In fact, he said, unless I go away... The Holy Spirit can't come. Why? That's why he had to die. There was no other way. Because God, could, God would have had to break his word and make a new spirit. But the only spirit he could give was his spirit. And the only way that could happen was if he came as a man and actually died. Releasing the, his spirit. So now the Bible says that I will pour out on all flesh of my spirit. We receive of God's spirit. Not some other spirit. Of God's spirit. And that's what brings us back to being a son of God. I think that's, to me, mind-blowing and, and so encouraging to know that what we were called, what we were originally created to be, is much higher than the angels. Because the Bible says we shall be just like him. In Hebrews it says that all the angels of God shall worship him. In fact, in Galatians it says that the heir, as long as he's a son is no better than a servant. Galatians 4.1. Paul here is explaining what happened in the garden. Although Adam and Eve were to be the little gods of earth, because they were still babies, they were under governors and tutors. If you read Galatians 4, that's what it tells you. They were under governors and tutors. That's why Satan was in the garden. That's why she wasn't surprised to be talking to him. I mean, if you started speaking to a snake, and a snake started speaking to you, I think most of us would take off. (laughs) So what I'm trying to tell you, this was not an unusual occurrence. This being was in the garden as a guardian and a tutor until he decided it wasn't fair and he wanted to be like God. And he rebelled. And there's a lot more to it, but I'll I'll just stop. Any other questions? I believe, this is my personal opinion, that the day of our Day of Atonement started when Jesus died. Remember, the Day of Atonement started when the high priest went behind the veil. In Hebrews, it tells us that's what he has done. He has gone behind the veil. But it will conclude in heaven. We get to witness 
the final solution. Remember now, each, each feast, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits was literally fulfilled by Jesus, correct? Right? He became our Passover, the Bible says. He is the bread from heaven, our unleavened bread. He's the first fruits from the, them that died. He is also the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And most Bible scholars believe now we've fulfilled four of the seven feasts, right? And we're waiting for the next one, which is Feast of Trumpets. So now, if Feast of Trumpets is the rapture event, that would have to mean the last two feasts must be in heaven. Day of Atonement and Tabernacles. Now, the Day of Atonement is, I believe, what you're reading in the book of Revelations 4 through 8. But the reason why it doesn't match what's in Leviticus is because this high priest doesn't have to do some of the things that high priest had to do. See, the high priest... In the Old Testament, before he started the ceremony, he had to sacrifice a bull for himself because he was a sinful man. Jesus does not have to. So what we're seeing, starting in Revelation chapter 4, I believe, is the fulfillment, the literal Day of Atonement, where the sin problem is fixed because we see the Lamb slain. We see the Lamb, and we know it's the Day of Atonement ceremony because this Lamb has horns. Now, on the Day of Atonement, it wasn't just a lamb they could choose. They could choose, if you read it in Exodus, it's a lamb, it's a kid of the goats or a kid of the lamb. And goats have horns. Now, so that tells you that it was the, what we're witnessing in Revelation is the atonement ceremony, the final one. We get to be there. We get to, to be there. Well, we, we are saved right now by faith, right? So we, we believe just as, as those who in the Old Testament gave the sacrifice that when they died, they would die a righteous death. We believe right now that we are saved by faith. But that, that, that destiny really doesn't get absolutely fixed till we die or the rapture comes. So it is an act of faith, right? The Bible says, blessed are those that die in the Lord now because they go on. They, their fate is fixed. They can't, they can't be unsaved. You understand? We are still on the, the pathway to salvation. But the good thing is, the God that we serve called those things that are not as though they are. He's looking at us as the finished product. He doesn't see us as the mess we may be because we are, we are going on to perfection. The Bible says that um, in, in Hebrews, it says that uh, he, he, he perfects those who are being sanctified. When we separate ourselves, God does the rest. He perfects us. So in Corinthians, read that verse again. What that is referring to is that we can come to him now. And the moment we come to him, he calls those things that are not as though they are. He, he sovereignly gives us perfection. And if we could understand that, if you could understand that right now God is looking at you as a perfected being, your prayer would be so much stronger. But we come to him thinking about all the, the mess, all the faults and all our failures, because that's the accuser, that's Satan's job, to make us have fear and lack of faith. But if we were to look unto Jesus, 
Right? The Bible says the author and the finisher of our faith. As long as Peter was looking onto Jesus, he didn't sink. The moment he started to look at the, what he thought was reality, oh man, this is impossible. I can't be walking on water in a storm. That's when he sank. So God calls us now as if we are perfect. It's us that condemn. The Bible says if your heart condemn you, then yes, God is greater than our heart. But if we would come to him in faith believing, Hebrews 4.16 says we can come to a throne of grace, what? Timidly, boldly, there to obtain mercy. And what I'm trying to encourage you to understand is that you are called God's beloved. You are just as beloved as Jesus was. Now that's mind-blowing, but that's what the Bible says. In, the, in John he says, you are his beloved. Not just loved, but beloved. You're the bride of Christ. The Bible says he has not appointed us to suffer wrath because he loves us. It says the gates of hell shall not prevail. That doesn't mean we won't have to pick up our cross. We do have to carry a cross, but there is a resurrection. There is a, a resurrection. The Bible says Jesus endured the cross not because of all the cross, but because of the joy there, was, there is coming a resurrection day. So God calls us as perfect now because he calls those things that are not as though they are because he's looking at the end result. In, I'll say one more thing, and I know going over time here, but in Genesis, when he called Abraham, he says to Abraham, I think in Genesis 17, he says, walk before me and be thou perfect. That seems so unfair. You be perfect, but... Really, the understanding is, Abraham, the moment you take the first step, I'm going to declare you perfect. You haven't got to Canaan yet, but you've left Ur. You've taken the first step. Because you've done that, Abraham, I declare you perfect. That's what God is saying. Who can lay any charge to God? Is God's elected is God that justifies. When he died, the, he said, Telestai, right? And you all know that means what? Paid in full. When we, when we start to doubt, what we're saying is that Christ's death was not good enough. Really, that's what we're saying. We're saying what he sacrificed, what we're going to be celebrating, was not good enough. And if that's not good enough to save us, nothing is. Can you imagine how hurt God must be sometimes with us? Because he came and died for us, went to the cross for us, took on that moment, not just my sin, but every single pedophile, every murderer, every rapist. The Bible said he was so disfigured, that's why they couldn't recognize him. He was so troubled. It wasn't actually, and this is my opinion, it wasn't the nails, it wasn't the whipping. It was the, the feeling of sin. He who knew no sin. Can you imagine a perfect being having to suddenly feel every single human being's sin? No wonder on the cross his flesh cried out, why have you forsaken me? That's why his sweat became as, as if drops of blood. It was, I don't believe it was the whippings, the nails, it was the sin that he did not want to experience. But the Bible goes on to say he was in all points tempted such as we are yet without sin until he was named or declared the sin offering so that he could be qualified to the Go to the place of the grave. But now, through his work on Calvary, and that what we're celebrating, we don't go that place. The instant this body dies, our soul goes to heaven to await 
being put into a new glorified body. Amen. I, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor because I do not want to wear out your, your patience here. But um, thank you so much for listening to me. If you have any personal questions, amen. I really did not follow my notes, but never mind. I hope you were blessed and got the, the essence of what I was trying to say tonight. God bless you. I didn't, we didn't tell you that he's an engineer by trade. So, um, how many were blessed tonight by his teaching? Um, thank you, Pastor Brownie. Thank you, Brother Brownie, so much. Uh, let's all please stand.